Today on Spirit Inspire, we go on pilgrimage, starting right now. Broadcasting from the Cathedral of the Assumption in Louisville, Kentucky, this is Spirit Inspire. And now, here is your host. Hello and welcome to Spirit Inspire. I'm your host today, Eric Huff. It feels like it's been uh, a tremendously long amount of time since I've been on here. I'm really excited to be back and I'm really excited to be joined today with my wonderful co-host, expert of theology of the body and and as my friend and expert at being theology of my buddy, uh, John Soul. <laughs> it's Say good hi. to see you too. Eric, uh, good friend. I, yeah, Isaac. Uh, Isaac couldn't be with us today. Um, I'm also really excited, John, because uh, we have these new microphones. If you are listening, uh, it probably sounds better on your ears. I think that the audio has probably improved greatly from these. Or hopefully, yes, and, has. and if it isn't, then we're. It just means we're adjusting the audio and trying to figure it out. So in a few episodes, I'm sure we'll have it set as. Ten or Good more. As it's going to be. Ten or more. Ten or more episodes, hopefully less. <laughs> yeah. So we'll get these things figured out. Yep. Um, and if you're watching, um, unfortunately, you not only have to see our faces, but have to see us um, try to adjust to these microphones on the table as well. Right. I'm really excited for today's episode because uh, we're going to be talking about a theme, a theme that 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 has really um, been present in my life over the last uh, week and, and going into this next week. So this it's pilgrimage. And uh, the reason we bring it up, I just got back from a pilgrimage myself with my family. And I am also going to be emceeing an event, a dinner this week, where the theme is on pilgrimage. And John, I know you've been on some pilgrimages in your life. Um, and I, I think that you're going to be going on a pilgrimage soon. So we'll we'll get to talk about that. Looking forward um, to it. But also just wanted to check in, see how you're doing before we get into it. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, I it's been a good uh, good month or two. Very uh, very active, but uh, you know I don't want to say busy because yeah. you know when anybody asks you how you're doing, you always say, "Oh, I'm busy." And and everybody's always busy. Everybody's always busy, and yet uh, my good friend Donna Burry, my boss, executive director of Family Renewal Project, she always said, you know, be careful when you say the word busy because it really is just an acronym for buried under Satan's yoke. And so I'm like, it's oh really, gosh, I don't know if really, I ever want to say that. That's really based, Donna Burry. Right, yeah, I know. Cool. Yeah, that's I awesome. Wanna, I don't know if I ever want to say I'm busy to anyone ever again no, for, I, if they ask me how I'm doing. So I definitely am not going to say that anymore. Right, right. I'm very active and fruitful, <laughs> I yeah. feel like. God has brought a lot of fruit through our efforts, and it's a gift. So. Yeah, that's amazing. So I guess to start with pilgrimage is uh, maybe we can talk about a little bit with uh, the listeners, the viewers about uh, what pilgrimage means to us, uh, what's the Christian definition, um, obviously pilgrimage and, and the Catholic definition to get a little bit more specific, um, and, and not necessarily, we're not going to do the Webster Dictionary um, straight out of the catechism <laughs> definition, but maybe just just talk about what, what it means to go on a Catholic pilgrimage rather than on, um, you know, Another kind of religious pilgrimage. So I'd say first to narrow it down, a pilgrimage rather than a vaca- vacation would be um, religious in nature. Would you mm-hmm. agree with that? I would. In a broad yeah. sense. Um, you see Muslims go uh, on Hajj, right? They go right. on a pilgrimage to Makkah. To, 
I thought it was Mecca, but yeah, Maka. I, I think Maka. Yeah, I've heard it. I've heard it both ways. That's fine. That's um, fine. And then, well, uh, first off, it starts off by not being busy. You gotta stop yeah, being so you busy. Go, you so <laughs> so that the 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 Islamic understanding um, that's a mandatory pilgrimage to go on Hajj to go right uh, to Kaaba and there's there's I think several things that um, they're they're required to do once they get to Mecca or Makkah. Um, so uh, different there. And when I think of pilgrimage too, um, in a Christian sense, to narrow it down and not just a religious sense. Uh, in a Christian sense, the, honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is very Protestant for me. Um, so a Christian pilgrimage, I think of one pilgrims uh, in the oh, right. North from, American from United States sense. They're coming over on from the Mayflower. Yeah, I think. Right? Are they English? Yeah, they're yeah, English. They're English but they start out in the Netherlands. Yes. And they come from the Netherlands to the New World. And I, I think about their those pilgrims. Um, I see the little uh, salt and pepper shakers. Have you ever seen that with like a little yes. pilgrim man? He's got you his, usually pull those out on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, right. he's got a golden belt buckle and a cool hat. <laughs> and there's a buckle on the hat. That's not much different than a leprechaun, actually, yeah. if you think about it. No. <laughs> and, then, and then I guess the other thing that's Protestant uh, and also good is um, the, the Pilgrim's Progress, the book. Oh yes, yeah. Which is remind which, me of that because I rem I feel like I've read that from like grade school literature yeah, class. I think it's it, it's kind of uh, an allegorical uh, representation. I haven't read it. Uh, I'm going to be honest, but an allegorical. <laughs> uh, I, I've seen parts of it, and from what I've seen, it it's good. Is it Bunyan? Is that the guy's last Paul name? Bunyan? Not Paul Bunyan. Oh, isn't I was that, like, there's no isn't way. That, uh, isn't that the mythical woodsman? Yes, I giant? was wondering, like, with his blue uh, re or ox named Blue or something. Yeah. Anyway, moving I don't, on. I don't from know that. what. I don't know if that's what the ox's name <laughs> Sorry, is. Sorry, that's He's not... kind of a pilgrim, Paul Bunyan. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm not not terribly sure. More like a nomad traveling alone. But uh, it's an allegorical take on, I think, the uh, the Christian life to heaven, the pilgrimage. Uh, to to heaven, and, and, and that's another theme of the Christian experience of pilgrimage, is that we are always on a pilgrimage uh, during our lives here on earth. That our lives are a pilgrimage to heaven, ultimately to to our final end, which is uh, eternal happiness with God in heaven. And, and we're on a journey. That that our lives are a journey. That they're an adventure. I think adventure can apply well to pilgrimage as well. Um, our lives are an adventure and a pilgrimage um, to that to that final end, which we're made for. Uh, and I think that any pilgrimage, any any trip taken as a pilgrimage, is a uh, small example of that 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 larger pilgrimage. Um, and then there, there's example of pilgrimage even in Scripture that that Christ's life on Earth, similar to our our earthly lives, uh, was a pilgrimage to the cross. Um, and ultimately to to the resurrection afterwards. So, yes. Um, e even on that sense, on that that very high level, uh, that that is also a pilgrimage. Uh, so this week I went on what is kind of a, uh, I guess what people in in the Catholic circles would think of as uh, as kind of a, a very prominent pilgrimage these days, or ta well talked about in the media, or some media, is the pilgrimage to see. Sister Wilhelmina's remains in Gower, Missouri. So I took my family. Uh, we left on Thursday, and then we didn't get. We, we stopped in St. Louis for a day, and then we we spent um, a good part of Saturday uh, with the sisters 
Um, how was that? It was it was amazing. It's uh, I bet <laughs> it was uh, it was every the crazy part is it's real. It right. seems true. Um, not that I went up as a skeptic. Well, so. give some context. Who was Sister Wilhelmina? Not everyone's heard so, of her. Yeah, Sister Wilhelmina was the foundress of a uh, Benedictine order of contemplative nuns, um, and they live in a monastery uh, north of Kansas City, uh, where she, that she founded. And uh, Sister Wilhelmina uh, had lived, I think, most of her life prior, um, not in a contemplative yeah, order. Yeah, she was like 70, 75 when she founded the religious order. Yeah. And, and uh, then 95 when she died. When she died. So uh, before that, she had been a uh, she had been a religious sister, uh, more in a secular sense. Uh, she was African-American and uh, had found her, her true calling, her true vocation uh, later in life. Uh, to be more contemplative, um, and and what do we mean by contemplative is is in prayer. Um, so she she had spent her time. Um, if you don't know anything about monasteries, uh, they pray the liturgy of the hours. Um, that uh, and in the Benedictine tradition, you know you have the phrase "ora et labora." Let's pray and work. So that's what they do there at the monastery that uh, she was the foundress of. They work. You can see them out in the fields. There's a lot of vegetables. There's some. I think some dogs out there to help assist them <laughs> uh, in their work and to keep off predators. And then uh, they they obviously have the the monastery. I don't want to. I don't know if you would call it a church or a chapel. Chapel, um, but they go into the stalls as, as is typical of uh, the contemplative life, and, and they pray in community the liturgy of the hours. Mm. Uh, so very uh, simple life of work and prayer yes. and some recreation, right? But oh, that yeah. recreation, I'm sure is very uh, simple in nature and just based in their community, right? They're cloistered. Yeah. But it sounds to me like, you know, someone like Sister Wilhelmina is, is a, an incredible example of someone who's internalized the word pilgrimage in her own life. Right. Right. Because she lived until 2019 right? Which happened to be the year that we, uh, World Youth Day was in Panama, right? So that's and you one were of the, there. Yeah. And I was there. And the theme of that was behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word, it's right? Fiat. So it's the fiat, the annunciation yeah. and that powerful, uh, recognition that if we really want to go on pilgrimage in our own life, then we have to be open like mother Mary was to the angel Gabriel to pull her into the depth of what pilgrimage is. And that pilgrimage of course led her to the very foot of the cross through his death, his resurrection and ascension so that she could then help the church give birth at Pentecost, right? So that now the church is guiding the whole world, you know, provided we are open to this on our earthly pilgrimage, right? The, uh, what is the, what do they call the church? But the pilgrim church on earth, yeah. right? And so Sister Wilhelmina, I think, embraced Mother Mary throughout her life. And she internalized this contemplative, spiritual commitment of long suffering, long uh, a long life, obviously, of yeah. fidelity and consistency, perseverance, and prayer. So uh, I'm sure many of our listeners are aware uh, that Sister Wilhelmina has been uh, famously in the news uh, based on the fact that 
she died, like you said, in, in 2019. She founded this order. Since she was the foundress and, and, and definitely the eldest member of the order, she was the first to, to pass away. And uh, when she died, they buried her in a corner. Uh, it's it's kind of cloistered. There's walls. So they buried her near one of those. Uh, there's a wall there now. There might not have been when they buried her. I'm not sure. But they had buried her there. And uh, as they finished a St. Joseph's altar inside of the church. And um, so they, they had always planned. This is typical to take the founder or foundress of your order and reinter them inside of the church at, at an altar or an appropriate location, I believe, in, in our tradition. And so uh, in doing so, like I said, they're they're praying and working out there. It's all, uh, what's the term they use these days? Crunchy. It's all very crunchy with these nuns. They're, they're very <laughs> crunchy. Everything's all natural. They're very DIY. They do it themselves. Um, they're not, it doesn't seem that they're the type of sisters to need to call on anyone for, for very much of anything. Yeah. It's very uh, self-contained from what I can tell. And so they, in that fashion, they, they decided that they were going to reinter her. So they had buried her in a wooden casket. Um, I don't believe that she had been embalmed. No, um, I had heard she had not been. Natural burial. So naturally buried. Which they later, would have increased the likelihood of decay. Yeah. Um, you think your organs like blow up and bugs like them and all kinds of stuff right. uh, inside of you when, when, when you're not embalmed. Not to be too grotesque, but you yeah, know. Well, it's, <laughs> it has to do with death. So yeah, right, exactly. uh, it's, uh, it's definitely... Um, uh, what do you call it when you're when you're when you're talking about death? Not morbid. Morbid. It's going to be morbid to some degree, at the very least. And uh, I think that uh, when you, when you look at Christ's death and you look at uh, the cross, it, it's very morbid, mm -hmm. and it, it's a great great scandal to many when they see the cross, when they see the death of our Lord, uh, when they see depictions of the Pieta and the sorrowful mother, uh, and her tears running down, her face covered. In Christ being in a in a state of death, um, so, anyways, um, so we're, we're that's, you know, I think it mirrors well the death of Christ Himself. Yes, but it also speaks to when they dug her up, uh, and like I said, they were doing it themselves. It's taken a while for these little nuns to yeah. to dig up. I don't know what type of equipment they had. I definitely know <laughs> they weren't. You know, they're not Amish, but th I know that they probably weren't using. Um, a heavy duty bobcat or something. I think probably some shovels and and uh, right. So they had buried her initially, and then they were disinterring her to then put in the chapel. Put in the chapel, and, the and they Joseph discovered Alter. they discovered something that what, wasn't based on the necessarily as much death, but more of the resurrection. The resurrection was the fact that her body had not decayed. That uh, the sisters amazing. were digging her up. I'm sure it took a while with their little shovels, right. and uh, they get down there and they see a foot. <laughs> In the dirt. <laughs> and uh, the casket had decayed and I think was split open. Right. And, and they talk about the, the area being um, kind of uh, swampy in some articles that I had read that, that it had gotten wet over there. and, and that Now, did you actually get to see her? Yeah. Oh, I saw it all. And uh, Wow. So, um, but the area where she's buried, one of the things that I, I think... They they said it's swampy, but there's literally like a reservoir, like a, like a pond... It's like, I don't know, 50, 50 yards away, it, about the same plane. It might slope down a little bit, but only slightly to an area that's like 
uh, like a pond. It's it could be quite swampy over there. I'd imagine it was a little rainy when we were there, so um, I think that played into you know how how I was seeing things. But yeah, it yeah. did not seem like if you didn't want someone to decay, <laughs> didn't seem the right. It didn't seem like the right place to put them. Right, uh, and this is where you can look at it as uh, part of a m- miracle because when it's the the conditions are impossible to really say well you could explain it away with science this can't be explained right right that's the that's the miracle behind this and uh and some of the ways uh i think that they try to explain it away um are kind of make it much more believable because they're kind of silly like they're like i said these sisters um they're working and praying it's very simplistic Mm. um to think that they could have some kind of conspiracy on this would be uh, would be extreme to begin with, right? But right. I think that that's where the attack would come from. I had seen someone say that there's this very specific mummification process, and uh, I don't think that the scissors had the time, the effort, and and this isn't a dig on them, but it doesn't <laughs> seem like they had the ability in terms of resource to uh, to mummify someone, right? I know, you know, you'd have to be uh, some kind of really. Very, very specific expert, I would think, to be able to mummify someone, to bury them, and then come up with this. And then, you know, there'd be so many hands involved, the the mortician. And you have to live with this idea. People believe that somehow the apostles, you know, hid the body of Jesus, and it's a big conspiracy from the beginning. So there will always be doubters and naysayers. It's funny that it does does mimic that also. And, uh, but, but it's funny how silly, like, if you think it out that way... And all the ways that it, it would not be a miracle are uh, are much more extravagant and extreme than uh, than just mm-hmm. accepting uh, that it that it's miraculous. Uh, it would it would be more miraculous to me that they that they would have that ability. Right. I, I just don't think they do. And and that 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 foresight on it. Um, the other thing is is you know you have the um, the actual mortician. In his testimony, on, <laughs> I didn't embalm. I, I didn't. I didn't embalm this person. I, <laughs> oh I dealt gosh. with the funeral process to whatever degree, and he has no idea how it happened. If somebody's going to get buried out there. They're going to decay. They won't be around be in four years. It's going to be bones after right? four years. The coffin, and also it doesn't explain the habit. Her but, habit's perfectly intact. Uh, I touched the funeral veil. That, that she had been buried in and the fabric it it, it felt uh more new and nice than my shirt right now wow um so uh yeah it's 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 insane and and also another thing let's let's stay back at the grave site is uh that was remarkable was um and speaking of the resurrection and the hope of the resurrection and the fact that it emulates Christ's resurrection is that there's also other, like I said, she would have been the first to be buried. And one thing I was really struck by is that there's her empty t- grave because she's been reinterred, not because, you know, she's been resurrected. But there was a great miracle in the, in the fact that, that she's incorruptible. But also there's other graves and uh, or, or memorials, maybe I should say, around there. And I thought, well... If she's the oldest and she's the first to go, who else is buried here? They can't be other sisters. Sometimes you'll go to um, monasteries 
and you'll see, you know, all the brothers are, are buried out here or all, all the sisters are buried out here and they're in a circle. Uh, we got the passionists here in Louisville and, and they've got a cemetery right. uh, that comes to mind or the uh, Franciscans over in Mount St. Francis. Did they exhume other bodies in that area? No, no. So what it is, is it's uh, babies, uh, like either um, who have passed away and it's a memorial to them. Um, so they, they've either either died in the womb uh, through miscarriage or uh, they died at a very young age. Wow. And uh, of course, you know, I don't know how appropriate it would be the media talking about it, but I was very moved um, seeing that and seeing the faith of the parents and, and what they what they chose to put on um, those memorial plaques for the for these children mm. and uh and and also it speaks to the hope of the resurrection um them being there near sister Wilhelmina where where this where this great miracle uh, allegedly has uh <laughs> has occurred and so so the other thing is the sisters are not you know you can tell they're not like prepared for for the traffic coming in. No, they, of course not, because God gave them a miracle without them necessarily even asking for it, right? So yeah. there's something to that. But I loved how you said alleged because it's it's important to be prudent in this, and this is why the church takes these cases very seriously. Yeah, They don't want to scandalize or mislead the faithful to believe certain things that may not be true. Uh, and it could even be from Satan, you know, there can be distractions and elements of lies that are embedded in these right. uh, these experiences. Right. And not to be uh, hopeless or cynical, uh, but to be cautious and tactful and aware. So they wanted the church wants to do due diligence and to look at the evidence, look at the testimonies, look at the the fruit. You know, and you can really judge a. Uh, a an alleged miracle by the fruit, yeah. Oftentimes, uh, and this is and, where you have to be cautious. The church, the church uses science and reason and uh, to to determine these things. And and I I do like the church's cautious approach. Uh, I was having a conversation about this today after after I've gotten back, and uh, there's a, a young man who was saying, you know, um, they were maybe a little bit hesitant on on how the bishop had had. Re- responded to it and, and I told him I, I thought that it was very prudent of him to not overemphasize um this miracle or to not uh be overzealous on it that that, that is his job as the shepherd of that that diocese to to approach this in a very reasonable and prudent manner and I, I think that's what he's done. Yes, I, don't, I mean I don't think he's like, hey, we don't believe in miracles. He's saying, hey, correct. Um, you know, we we need to continue to gather uh, data on this. It's it's okay to go mm-hmm. see for yourself. Um, but but well, even I the, like the church having that response. Um, yeah. it, it's it's the right thing to do. Even the the. Uh, Visions of St. Faustina were suppressed for a period of time because there was a mistranslation, misunderstanding of the translation. And it wasn't until John Paul II as Pope was able to give proper translations in the late 70s, yeah, and early what's, 80s. And it, it adds the drama of it. That exactly. What's the chance that there would be a Polish Pope to, uh, <laughs> to, be able to rectify to do that, that situation? All in a very short amount of time, right? So these And the reason these visions and these apparitions and experiences and the incorruptibility of saints is so important is because these places often become major 
sites for Christian pilgrimages, right? right? People are going to flock to see and and believe and be transformed and enter into prayer. And if this is not legitimate, that you don't want to lead people astray into superstition, right? And that's critically important. Well, I think too, uh, you you bringing that up, it's a good time to, to point this out is that we, we talked a little bit about Mecca earlier and the pilgrimages there. Uh, I had watched 60 Minutes, uh, and there was recently, in the last couple months, uh, an episode about uh, Lourdes. And, wow. Uh, the, the, uh, there was a sister, actually, at Lourdes who, who had a mir- miraculous healing in the, in the church. Um, if, if you get a chance, I would, I would tell everyone to go watch this episode of 60 Minutes, or this clip from the episode where... Uh, this the sister had this condition, debilitating condition her whole life, and she was healed at Lord's. She she had no expectation of healing, and it's it's medically attested to, uh, scientifically attested to, by by numerous physicians, secular and otherwise. And the Lord's Medical Bureau is is very cautious. I think out of the thousands and thousands of probably reported cures that they only have recognized since since the you know mid eighteen hundreds. From the mid nineteenth century, they've only recognized um, forty or so miracles. Wow! Because not because they don't think that more miracles happen, but but they're only going to recognize what they can scientifically prove as a miracle. Right? They're not going to recognize. You know, if I go to Lords and I I think that um, I have cancer, and a doctor hasn't diagnosed me with cancer, and I've actually got a mental health issue where I think I have cancer when I don't. And then I'm healed of uh, a cancer that never really exists. Right. Or, or a doctor even alluded to cancer and you interpreted it as a diagnosis. Right. So, right. Uh, and also, like, there could be uh, healing. There could be a cure to a disease or ailment right. that is not supernatural. Right. It happens most of the time. Most of the time, if you're sick, you go to the doctor and the doctor figures it out using reason and science, not through miracles. And in fact, I wouldn't want to go to a doctor who was like, Hey, we're just going to do miracle healings. <laughs> like that, yeah, that would, would not, I would walk right back out of that doctor's office. I want the doctor to use science, but I'm also very much aware that miracles do happen. Right. Uh, but you know, part of the miraculous nature of miracles is that it's uncommon, that it's supernatural, that it, it, it's something that happened that is uh, outside of the normative and natural means of creation. And, uh, and I think that's a really important factor. It's a really important factor here is it, we wouldn't know that something special was happening with an incorruptible body if that's just how bodies were after we die. Right. But in nature, our bodies decay um you know they they go away we mm-hmm. turn to, to bones and dust and uh and and, and worm food and uh that's, that's true but and so yeah so to see something like this you go hey this is not normal this is something supernatural that it is above nature or above natural explanation and then talking about lords uh, and those miracles there in, in the cautious nature of the church and the Lord's Medical Bureau. Did you know Lord's is the, uh, I think it's the the 60 Minutes uh, video I saw, said it's the most visited uh, religious site in the world by far. Lord's is. More than the Holy Land, more than Mecca. More than Fatima. I think so. 
That's amazing. To, according to this, uh, this sixty minutes, I, I believe I could you know, be wrong. I've always, I've always wanted to I go think to. They said that. I've always wanted to go to Lourdes, and uh, of course, we're going to Portugal uh, this coming summer to uh, Fatima and yeah. and Lisbon, yeah, uh, for World Youth Day. But uh, Lourdes has definitely been on my heart, and as even as you spoke, I, I think to the um, the idea of the woman at the well. And the entire history of Israel being on pilgrimage, first through the wilderness, of course, and then even in the promised land in exile and then back uh, after the civil war that split the country in half. You know, you think of the 10 tribes being ostracized, falling into idolatry, losing their way. Then they're called Samaritans and ostracized because of the labels and the fact that they are said, you're not worshiping God. You have to worship him in the temple, but you're not allowed to go to the temple because we don't want anything to do with you. So there must have been some feeling of like hunger and thirst and overwhelming pain that they were going through. On top of the woman that Jesus chooses, you know, to speak into her heart, she had been through so much that she couldn't even be seen in public with other women in the morning or in the evening. So she had to go get water in the middle of the day because of the husbands that she had had and the pain she had been through. There's a beautiful depiction of this in the season two or season one of The Chosen uh, that uh, Jonathan Rumi playing the part of Jesus actually you know, sits with the woman at the well and speaks to her in such a beautiful way. Um, it kind of brings that story to life. And what he's saying to her is, you know, first give me a drink. Mm-hmm. And she says, you didn't bring anything yourself or something to that effect. Um, and he said, if you really knew who was asking you for a drink, maybe you would ask him for a drink because he would give you living waters. Right. And he's speaking of the the, the living waters of healing, of, uh, of some source that... Once we drink from it, quenches our thirst forever, yeah. right? And that is the kind of waters I believe are springing forth from Lourdes, yeah. the Lourdes water that heals. And it comes directly from the heart of Christ on the cross when the blood and water flowed out of his side and Mother Mary received that, right? Now as the mother of the church and she's embracing her role as you know, John, the beloved disciple, takes her into his home. And what does she do with the blood and water? She then distributes it, gives it to all the faithful, all those who are placed themselves spiritually and emotionally at the foot of the cross so that they can also be bathed in that blood and water. Right. And and that is what brings healing. That is what gives us uh, an opportunity for real encounter. And that's the whole point of going on pilgrimage, to bring you to the foot of the cross. Right, right. And, uh... And, and I also think of, um, you know, the the original pilgrimages or original Christian pilgrimages. Right. Um, the going to the Holy Land mm-hmm. to see uh, to see the actual place where the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. I mean, place. when did the first pilgrimages start? Do you know? No, no. I believe, and again, I'm not the uh, source, historian. John Source, I, I made it up. I made it up, everyone. No. Uh, I think it's per- first-hand experience. Again, you can Wikipedia this, even though that's not very reliable, but whatever. Um, you can I, read it on Urban Dictionary, too. Right. I actually got to go with my wife, Crystal, to the Holy Lands in 2020. 
right before the COVID lockdown. Yeah. That was a miracle. We literally came home and a week later they issued the travel ban and things started That's to insane. fall apart. Um, and uh, other people's trips like started getting shut down halfway through. They had to leave early or they had a lot more restrictions. We had no restrictions. No one talked about a pandemic, nothing. That's and crazy. we were there and they were talking about uh, St. Helena, the mother of Constantine, yeah. who visited the Holy Lands in the early 300s. Oh, yeah. Right? She built Byzantine churches uh, as a memorial of these spots that uh, were confirmed as the locations of where Christ was born, where he lived. She really did her due diligence. Um, where at the he time. was crucified. And right? she wasn't very that far removed from the time period it happened. Exactly. And that's what our tour guide was really emphasizing is that we still have the Declaration of Independence today, Eric. I mean, we know where it was signed. You can visit the Liberty Bell. You can visit the Hall of Congress in Philadelphia that where it was signed. We have those physical locations, the same buildings. I mean, these presidents are still printed on our money. That was only two hundred and fifty years ago. And that's a about the amount of time St. Helena was removed from the time of Christ. So when archaeologists found the original uh, uh, Byzantine church remains at these sites, they were able to identify this as an A site. Anything described as a B site or a C site means maybe it's more legendary, it's not necessarily true, but the spot of the Annunciation where Mary received the message from the angel Gabriel is an A site. Byzantine church remains were found. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre is an A site. Yeah. Church, Byzantine church remains were found. And um, the spot of Jesus' birth, the Nativity, is an A site. And there's others, uh, others as well. But this is where the original pilgrimages started. In fact, when we were at the Nativity, we saw crosses carved into the walls, into the rocks. And St. Helena... Uh, encouraged this to some extent. And when pilgrim, pilgrims would go, they'd either bring something with them, like an image or, you know, some kind of lamp, some kind of thing to decorate the area, right. or they would carve a cross or some kind of cross into the wall. And that was their mark. That was their proof that they were there. And if you, if they ever went back with someone else or someone was going, they say, look for this image. Look for this cross. I put that there. That was their proof that they were going on pilgrimage and that they had been there. And so I, in my mind, as far as the Christian pilgrimages go from 300, 325, whatever year onward is when the first real pilgrimages of Christianity began because it was the first time it was legalized really. And that's when things started you know, uh, they, they, moving. They legalize like people are like, you need to legalize marijuana. <laughs> You know, they have like those billboards. And yes. Stuff. I think they actually, when I was in Missouri, I think they have uh, legalized it. And there's well, a bunch it's of, happening more and more in different states. A bunch of stories, but like, sure. uh, we should definitely have a shirt that says like legal, legalized pilgrimage. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> marijuana is not the kind of pilgrimage you want to go on. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> that's one, that's one trip I don't want to go. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. It just starts turning into it's like, like the 1960s. Like into 1960s, uh, or fifties, um. Uh, Anti-marijuana propaganda. Right. <laughs> Reefer madness right. on spirit inspired. Yeah. Wrong. No, they're, they're, Father Mike Schmitz was talking about something in his uh, catechism in a year recently, and he talked about the great omission. And, he, and I think he was even referencing a book that came out several years ago called The Great Omission. Instead of the Great Commission, where Christ commissions us to share the gospel, yeah. to go out to all the nations, the Great Omission is how so many generations— just 
didn't do that. They didn't share their faith. They didn't evangelize others. They didn't spend time speaking about Christ and his death and resurrection and the great hope that is for all of us so that we can embrace suffering and go on this earthly pilgrimage in life with this sense of purpose that when you arrive at the foot of the cross and find that healing, you can then enter into death with courage because you know the whole point of this is resurrection. And I think that, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to get it, give anybody a slide or a pass here, but I think living in Christendom, um, it, it probably wasn't as apparent a need uh, unless you felt your vocation was to be an actual right. missionary brother or sister uh, to go out and, and to respond in this way. So It's very true. When you kind of assume everyone believes what you believe in the and, faith, you and don't they, feel compelled and I, to do so. I think so. at the time they did. And right. I think that uh, they had a Christian culture. And I think that the the cultural institutions that, that existed at that time uh, were stronger. And uh, they did a lot of the evangelization. Um I think that it did make, you know, the human element a little bit weak on, on having to evangelize, even though that that is a universal call that Christ calls all of us to. I think that, uh, you know, similar to I can tell a field by hand or I could get on a tractor. Uh, we kind of talked about that a little earlier. So it ties right in. But uh, I think at the time they had a pretty big tractor. They had a pretty big engine uh, doing a lot of the tilling and uh, your arms get weak. If you're if you're riding the tractor, so I think we're back in a time period when uh, we're we're going to have to tell the we might not even have a hoe right now. Like, well, no, we, we were given we, a hand shovel. <laughs> we might we might have to we might have to till with our bare hands for a little while. Right, uh, but but you know I I had reflected on this in a previous episode I think at one point, but uh, it was this idea that we want to build a beautiful garden. Right. Yeah. We want people to be in this garden and enjoy it. And it doesn't mean we want to go back in time to the Garden of Eden. We're talking about the ultimate garden of heaven. Right. right. But at the same time, we can build a culture and environment of, of where people can receive this. It's really real. But my world. phone keeps going off and I'm so sorry. Guys. Oh, that's okay. Um, silence it. But uh, there is this. Uh, story. I don't know if you remember this movie growing up uh, called The Secret Garden, you know, and it's just this beautiful story of a little girl who, and it's sad, it's tragic at the beginning. She loses her parents in a fire, but she has to move uh, all the way to Yorkshire, uh, the Yorkshire Moors in England. And uh, she moves into this big mansion house. You're uh, screaming at night, right? Right, right. Yeah, she hears screaming at night and it is kind of creepy at first, but it's a very I like one of the things I like is how alien this new world she goes into is and how it becomes more familiar. I think it's really relatable. But yes. anyways, go on. Yes, exactly. And so she is in this space of uh new discoveries and wondering who she is because she grew up kind of being given everything that she ever wanted and she kind of became kind of self-centered of self-absorbed and kind of a brat and yet as she got outside in nature and with the world and creation in the gardens she started to open up her mind and her heart and her even her body and she started gaining weight again she started really take, learning how to take care of herself and then she meets her cousin who she didn't even know existed 
And he had grown up his whole life believing he was a cripple. He had he was a hunchback. He was destined to die. His father had lost his mother years before, and he was crippled with grief. And he was barely ever there. Only ever visited when he when the son was asleep, basically. Um, and they strike up a friendship. And Mary, who had literally the girl in the the story, literally has been brought back to life and then she can bring that out of him. And we want to do that for people, especially as she discovers the secret garden of her long lost aunt that they had locked up because of the tragedy of what happened. And just the cultivation of that secret garden and and building that back up so that when it was time, they were able to share that with everyone else to bring healing when so many were in still in despair but it came through the healing of this little boy who thought he was crippled always in a wheelchair and all of a sudden he could walk he could run he could be a little boy again and i look at that as maybe so many people living in darkness feeling crippled because of whatever's happened in their life and yet that's part of what it means to be on pilgrimage now if we want to build a secret garden we got to recognize that we're kind of like post-world war ii here you know on some level because and and this is maybe a little mystical, but John Paul II, you know, here I am going to kind of into the TLB world, but not really because John Paul II did because so I'm, much because, more. Because I'm going to stop you if you do. No, <laughs> um, but John Paul II did so much more in that, uh, and it's just amazing. All right, here it is. So one of the original pilgrimages, of course, was Moses and the Israelites in the desert for 40 years, right? Well, did you know... The date. Do you know the date? but a goodie. When World War II started. Do you know the date? Oh, man. Please don't. Don't quiz me on history. I love putting you on the spot. Yeah, don't it's quiz kind of me fun. on history right now. September 1st, 1939. Okay. That was the day the Nazis invaded Poland. Right. Right? Knew that. 40 years and four days later, on September 5th, 1979, John Paul II delivered the very first public audience on the theology of the body. And as I reflected not, on not that, the theology of the buddy, right? Not the theology of the buddy. And so I look at like he gave for five years, gave those talks. And yet at the same time, he had just visited Poland, his homeland after you know, all of that they had been through first time as Pope sparking the solidarity movement within 10 years, communism falls at the same time as he finishes theology, of the body, he starts the commission to write the catechism. I didn't realize that, um, that 79, it feels so much closer to uh, World War II than it is. It was so far. I know. It, it was, was 40 years time. after. Yeah. yeah, I know it's still a long time after. It's 79 is really close to when I was born. I'm getting old. Right, so, yeah. right. But John Paul II wasn't just fighting against Nazism. He was even fighting against the Russian communist principles, right? The Marxist principles of sure. class warfare. And did you know that it wasn't that the communists entered Poland, liberated them from the Nazis, and then also took over and instituted communism for 40 years? No. They conspired with the Nazis in September of 1939, two weeks later, they invaded Poland on the other side of their country. Literally split the country in half and set up, basically annihilated the borders and eliminated the country of Poland entirely, except for the culture, the language, the people. John Paul II memorized plays and poetry to preserve Polish culture. Uh, and so it's not just. 40 years uh, after the World War II, it's 40 years of communism 
that they were dealing with in 1979 that had crippled them for so many years. And you want to talk about learning how to walk, to run. The Polish people can be a great example for us in America who maybe feel crippled by the technological revolution that's isolated us and made us feel like it's impossible to live or even know our faith. And yet that same technology can be used to teach the faith, to share the faith. I mean, look what we're doing with Spirit Inspire. Eric, I mean, this is an amazing gift, everyone. I mean, that we have the ability to share our faith, to speak truth and love and goodness. This, to me, is part of what it means to go on pilgrimage. And who was it? John Paul II was the one who established World Youth Day. And that was in 1984-85. So right as he finishes Theology of the Body, the very Jubilee year of redemption, uh, right as he begins the process of creating the Catechism of the Catholic Church, he establishes World Youth Day right in that dramatic decade. I think that's a good point for a break. Yes, and, it is. And uh, I think we've got more to come in regards to World Youth Day. So uh, we're going to take a short break here, and we'll be right back with more Spirit and Spire. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, another sponsor for today's episode is the Cathedral of the Assumption in the heart of downtown Louisville, Kentucky. It is the spiritual center of parish and family life and is a historic treasure for the Catholic Church in America. Take a tour or consider visiting for Mass. Check them out at cathedraloftheassumption.org. Welcome back. We've been on pilgrimage here at Spirit Inspire. Um, we're coming back, and uh, it's been incredible, the things we're talking about, the ideas, the idea of pilgrimage, and the fact that our lives are a pilgrimage here on Earth, that we can take um, both physical and spiritual pilgrimages uh, that are edifying to us, that that are just a mirror image of that that grander pilgrimage that that is our lives leading us to God in heaven. And uh, when we closed out the last segment, John, we were talking a little bit about World Youth Day. And uh, if if you listen to the podcast or you've watched the podcast on YouTube, you probably know that that John Soul, uh, Mr. John Soul, wears a lot of vests that he's invested, and I make fun of that often. Today he's wearing. Not one, <laughs> but two vests. Uh, one of them, I think, is for style and aesthetic. But, uh, John, what can you tell me about that second vest, that that one over top that we can see right So here? my cousin Mandy, shout out to Mandy for buying this for me, uh, buying one of these for me. I actually wore that one out to death. Uh, I wore it so much when I came home from Brazil that it, I had to basically throw it away. It became awesome. rags. Um actually was brown because of the sun it was so intense it used to be black but anyway this is the original version of it it's got like 40 some odd pockets or more i originally was told it has like 100 pockets but you can fit an ipad in there you know there's so much that you can do you can there's a pocket in my back um your passport all of this this is basically the replacement to the money satchel yeah and it's i can a little put bit a cooler than a lot more inside of it and you can hook all kinds of things it's it's pretty uh pretty cool but i feel I, like you you're like one of those street guys you see on movies where they're like hey do you guys need any right. and there's like hey, guys i got all this stuff there's like <laughs> there's like there's like eyeballs and cameras and well, all got rosaries and yeah. holy water instead yeah <laughs> it's pretty cool but uh but i got this uh when we went to uh well i first got to go to world youth day in madrid and that was my first real time i was that was actually my first time ever on an airplane and i 
was super excited about, you know, going on this trip. What'd you think on the airplane? Scary? I was then, in, uh, in fact, one of the people who went with us uh, said to me, John, I read the top 10 people you don't want to be sitting next to on an airplane. And the little person, the person who looks down at everything and says, oh my gosh, it looks like little houses is one of, it's like the number one person. Yeah. And you are that person. And that was me. I was like, oh my God, it's a little house. Look how little. It was so, it was crazy. But my dad was an air traffic controller. So that's the more, even funnier thing. That's crazy. And so You've I, never been on a plane. Yeah. I was, I was 20, 21 before I ever got on an airplane. Um, but this was my trip. Uh, of a lifetime that kind of helped me internalize my faith. Where was this one more time? Madrid, Spain. Okay. So this was 2011. Okay. And uh, leading up to it, my friend and campus minister, who's now an actual nun in Spain, um, what had been on a discernment retreat in 2010. Who is this? And this was Mary Redding and she's now sister Nazareth in, I know it's pretty amazing. That's pretty cool. But she, uh, she had gone to a discernment retreat in summer 2010 before she took the job at Western Kentucky as our campus minister. And they said, are you coming back next year for world youth day? And she says, well, I don't know. And then she discerned and with her new job as campus minister, she offered it and, uh, 10 or 12 of us signed up for this trip. And the only reason that I signed up is because she convinced me to give it a try. I, I had no money. I mean, she said it was going to be $2,500 minimum, possibly as high as 3600 And I was like, good luck. And she said, John, do you want to go? And I was like, of course. And she said, well, then you have to trust that God will guide you there. Right. Right. You just have to take that leap of faith and say yes. Right. And so I took my last $5 bill out of my wallet and I had never, you know, I didn't even have a job at that time. And I put it in the collection basket in that very mass right after my conversation with her. And a couple months later, we had to come up with the first $500 deposit that I didn't have. And my parish, who's been through so much with all the debt and the fire and the dwindling, everything. Yeah, yeah we've, we've heard a lot. That we've covered thoroughly. They, in their generosity and love, the parish council approved a $500 donation to me as a young person to pay for that first deposit. It's awesome. And then five or six months later, they allowed me to do a second collection shortly after Easter that raised the rest of my money. So I got to go to that trip at no cost to me. How old were you? I was 20. That's pretty cool. And I go on this trip and it, it utterly changed my life. I mean, when I saw the people, it, uh, the amount of people that were there to see the Pope, the Holy Father, right? The Vicar of Christ, <laughs> the successor of St. Peter, like... And, and yet also to encounter Christ in the Eucharist in adoration. And this was Pope Benedict at the time. So I got to see him with my own eyes, which was so cool. Yeah. It was, it was mystical. It was magical. It was deeply spiritual, prayerful. It was emotional. It was like seeing the communion of saints, a glimpse of it. Right. Yeah. And so I come home on fire, so excited beyond any other trip or experience I'd ever been on. And boom, immediately fell off of the mountain, you know, and had to really learn to start internalizing the pilgrimage into the rest of my life. Right. right. Um, so then it was with Rio when our campus minister organized another trip with, and this point was now kind of like a college graduation experience. My brother, Matt was coming. Yeah. And he, along with like 15 other friends from college, all went on this trip. And so my brother and I were able to raise money at my parish and at two other parishes uh, for that trip that covered both of us. And immediately after coming home from that, and this was that was the trip I got my vest in. So I had already been to World Youth Day. Now my brother was going. It was a shared experience. 
and, and you guys went up uh, to the Cristo. We Ray. got to go see the Cristo, right? Right, uh, yeah. and uh, it was this. Uh, I mean, one of the tallest statues in the world, and there's a perpetual adoration chapel in the bottom I did not of that, that statue. Well, actually, I think I knew that because you told me that I probably before, told you but... that before, right? Um, we got up there, and you usually can look down on the mountain and see the huge valley of all the people. It had rained so much, the clouds covered the area. What was the chapel like? Was it cool? It was m- amazing. It was so intimate and simple, and yet because there were throngs of pilgrims all up there trying to you know, see down, a lot of people missed that opportunity to spend time with Christ because you were you're in a lot of people's minds you went up to go see the view right yeah but when the clouds covered the whole valley you couldn't see it you had to recognize all we can see is each other and Jesus yeah and that's all that matters right, right. and it was that experience that helped us kind of internalize a different attitude toward pilgrimage than vacation or tourist traps where you go see this or that or take pictures of this or that and it was more about the experience of encountering one another on this journey learning patience and love and inconvenience and hardship i'll never forget uh similarly um the first time i ever went to new york city yeah is you know that was a vacation, not a pilgrimage, um, but you know we we had kind of some some family health issues and uh, some problems that we endured as soon as we arrived, and it kind of became a pilgrimage. <laughs> and, and we were in the hustle and bustle of New York, and you want to see everything, and there's there's so much to do, so much to see. The city it never sleeps, and uh, I remember in St. Patrick's Cathedral, there's a. Uh, a, a perpetual adoration. I don't know if it's perpetual, but there's an adoration uh, chapel yeah. uh, with Our Lady of New York, and and to just go outside the noise of the city and to to pray for the intentions on your heart, um, and not have to be be caught up in in the movement of the city, uh, and but be in some a prayerful oasis. Yes, it's, it's so uh, so important, and and to be reminded. Um, to put Christ first. Yes. Because uh, the busier you are, the the harder that is to do. Right. And the more of the yoke of Satan you are under, right? Um, that busy. Busy. Burden under Satan's yoke. Buried. Burden also. Okay. Same Bur- deal. Buried right. under Satan's yoke. Right. Yeah. And this is why people shouldn't look at pilgrimages as a burden uh, when you're in the midst of it. And even if you're on vacation and inconveniences like that happen, can you enter into the spiritual mentality of, okay, well, these are aspects of pilgrimage that I have to embrace even when I'm trying to relax and have fun and go see some sights, right? I remember this on a family vacation I took with my grandma. This was the last family vacation we had with her before she died. And we were going all the way southwest in an RV. I mean, there were five days where we were in the middle of the desert in Tonopah, Arizona, visiting cousins who basically worked the whole week and we never saw them except in the evenings. 110 degrees outside. My brother and I thought we were going to die. My grandma even said to me one day uh, during that five days john i think this is the end you might have to take me home in a body bag i was like oh my gosh grandma what that's like uh <laughs> that's like in the movie vacation yes yes literally yeah, we were referencing that in fact my cousin uh created this uh license plate that he put on our rv that said cousin eddie's rv and we still have that um but um while we were on that trip there was a moment where we were walking and looking at some old town old west town like buildings and stuff and my grandma was really struggling to keep up with us and I remember her sitting down on the steps one day and she just looked at me and she had tears in her eyes I said grandma are you okay and she said I just feel like I'm a burden on everybody yeah and 
that was a pilgrimage moment in my life, you know, and it reminded me of the time in Rio de Janeiro when I had been separated from half my group because the other half was trying to get their food across the barricade before Pope Francis showed up when the whole vigil site had to move from one location because it had been flooded and infested with crocodiles all the way back to Copacabana Beach where it wasn't built to accommodate 4 million people. Um, and uh, we only had 150 porta pots, and it was awful. Did you see any and miserable. down there? No, we didn't. But we did get into the beach, and you were up to your knees in water, and you would still get hit by such huge waves you thought you were going to die. People would get did, did anybody pulled die? out into the ocean, and they'd be airlifted out and rescued by helicopter. It was that bad. Did anybody get hurt? Uh, I don't think anyone died that I heard of um, or got hurt. But I mean, I, I got my head slammed into another pilgrim friend of mine that when we were in the water and we just got out of there real quick. That's but crazy. It was. But when we got separated from the group uh, because the Pope was coming and I couldn't I could no longer take video of all kinds of great things happening and because my camera was on the beach and I was stuck on the other side, a friend of mine looked at me and said, John, we ruined your trip, didn't we? And I said, no, why would you think that? And it was me unintentionally communicating that I cared more about the sights, the sounds, the video opportunities than the people I was with. Right. The experience of pilgrimage and encounter that is really at the heart of why we do these things to begin with. You know, those embedded themselves so thoroughly into me that a year later when I'm with my grandma, I could receive her. And understand that more deeply, that that's what matters. It's the people we're with, especially our family, especially our friends that we love dearly, um, that we shouldn't see anyone as burdens, but as gifts. The hardships are meant to teach us about love. Yeah. I've got to, uh, I've got to interject with a, yeah. with a little uh, anecdote of what happened at uh, Sister Wilhelmina. Oh, uh, yeah. I got, I got really, so whenever I went up to see her, uh, well, first off, David touched the dirt where she was buried. Um, oh, that's so it cool. It was pretty cool. And then when we took her up, we waited in line. We got up to the the altar on the side there, the St. Joseph altar that uh, they're building that that she's now behind glass in. And uh, I got real mad at David because I thought he banged on the glass. I'm like, come on, dude. But what it was is he was trying to touch her. He didn't know there was glass there. It was very clean at this point. They must have wiped it down because there's a ton of people. Yeah. And, and he's 16 months old and he wasn't hitting it. He wasn't like tapping on the glass. He hit it once trying to touch. And he had his hit and he kept. So after he hit, he wasn't like hitting again. Yeah. He kept his hand on the glass and like hit him smiling and like looking at her with his hand on the glass. I'll never forget. Uh, that moment and before i looked down at him i almost wanted to scream because i thought like you don't you don't tap on the glass of a fishbowl right. let alone at a holy site of, <laughs> of a potential saint right um and and when i looked down i was uh it was a relief to see that that wasn't you know i'm glad i didn't get angry because uh i wanted to but i was happy to look down and see wow he wasn't he was trying he was just trying to touch yeah and there's people driving from all over the country who aren't 16 months old, uh, luckily. Who don't do that, right? But but they but they were trying. They're all trying to. Or yeah, they're to, all trying to do the they're same. They're trying thing. to get to feel um, and to touch, and that's why they had to put her behind glass. Yeah. And um, well, that speaks of the presence of Christ on some level that's infused within the 
incorrupt remains, yeah. right? That there, there's that elements and element and glimpse of the resurrection that we've been talking about. Right? Yes, uh, and that kind of connects me to the uh, the next opportunity I had to go on pilgrimage to um, uh, Poland. I actually oh, got yeah. to go during the Jubilee Year of Mercy, that's right, 2016, uh, to Krakow, to Warsaw. Oh, it's been since 2016. It's been a long time. Yeah, it has. It has. Uh, to Auschwitz, we got to see that the place where Maximilian Kolbe, my confirmation saint, was killed. We went yeah. to the uh, monastery where Saint Faustina lived, as well as the uh, uh, cloistered convent that she envisioned that only was established after Divine Mercy uh, Sunday was uh, established for the Universal cool? Church. It was incredible. Those places were just mystical, beautiful. Did you see the paintings? I saw the paintings. I the... was at St. Faustina's tomb. Are they in the same place, both of them? Uh, the No, they're in... Uh, well, yes, her, the actual painting, the second painting, not the original, uh, the second painting that was painted mm -hmm. just a few years later, shortly after her death, uh, what is the one right is above it, her isn't tomb. Isn't it post-World War II, the second one? No, it's in, it's toward the end of World War II. The second one was painted in 1943, just okay. five years after her death. Okay. But it was painted in Thanksgiving for the man's life being spared during World War II. And I kind of look at that as like the first fruits of her uh, intercession from heaven, because even her own manuscripts reveal that she didn't even like the first painting. And of course, Christ put her at ease that it's not in the beauty of the painting or the brush. It's in the fact that the image exists and it can be venerated, right? So there's merit in both I think, images. I think it's it's kind of funny that she doesn't like. Uh, I know that she doesn't like one of them. Yeah. I know it the is really one. funny to me. But, it, but anyway, yeah. I, I just love that because it points us from, you know, if she didn't like the image, it's because maybe she had a, a mystical insight because she saw Jesus right in apparition. She saw what she and, he actually looked. And it like. would be difficult for any any person to any, properly, but do any it, right? painting to to even compare to something um, right that. That that wonderful. Right. But if there was ever anything inspired, I, I love this second image only because it does look a little bit more human. Um, and it became a little bit more famous in the 90s and early 2000s. I think the earlier painting became more famous after, the, uh, after World Youth Day, it felt like, after the Year of Mercy. Because with the Year of Mercy came a bigger emphasis on divine mercy and that image and devotional that is so important and necessary. And you brought that one... That one back, and you gave it to Brian Kane, right? Yeah, I did. I brought that. Actually, that one was mailed to me. Uh, my host father mailed me three of those images, the same size. So I have two others at home. The, um, uh, it, you know it's framed now, right? Yeah, he and showed it, me. It's in the confessional at Holy Angels. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. beautiful. And it survived a flood. It could have gotten destroyed. When? Uh, we had the school flooded. I did not know that. This year in January. Oh my goodness. And every, a lot of things got destroyed. And that, that painting, that, that, it's not a painting, it's a reproduction right, of the right. painting was on the ground and could wow. have easily um, just turned into mush. Wow. Uh, with everything else in it. Well, praise it, the Lord. It was crazy that it, it survived and is in the in the beautiful renovated uh, new confessional now. Yes, it is. Yeah, I think it, think of that often. And uh, so there you go, right at the very heart of Holy Angels, where you work, there's yeah. that image that I was given from my time in Poland on pilgrimage, right? Yeah, very In cool. the confessional. So I don't know, take that and ponder that as you prepare for this coming uh, Wednesday. Oh, yeah, for the, um, uh, the pilgrimage-themed... Uh, 
um, banquet, a benefit, benefit dinner. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I'll be there. Um, but, uh, but world youth day is important, but there's world meaning of families. There's other pilgrimages that we can go to. I mean, and you're going, you're going to world youth day and we're going to world youth day again, uh, in Portugal. Holy angels. It's, uh, Yes, Holy Angels is sponsoring this, praise the Lord, you know, uh, it's a great gift. We have 25 or so going from the Archdiocese of Louisville, maybe a a little less, but uh, it's the largest group from the Archdiocese of Louisville in history going to World Youth Day. That's pretty cool. It is a momentous historical occasion of great importance. That's awesome. So here we are on pilgrimage. Have you ever been to Portugal? No. Okay. No. It'll be cool. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm especially looking forward to this one because I get to go with my wife, yeah, my sister, and yeah. my brother-in-law. Yeah. I forgot about that. What a miracle. A gift. You know, my brother has been to World Youth Day and he had twin boys in March. So he and his wife are uh, on their own pilgrimage of starting yeah. their family, right? right? Which again, that's the whole point of going on pilgrimage so that you can discern God's will, find your vocation and live it to the full. In, in there, you know, with, with po- any pilgrimage, you know, there's there's a sense where it is uh, just, I don't know, pedestrian and ordinary, and there's a sense where it is um, cosmic and extraordinary. Yes. That, um, you know, you, you're interacting with God on this pilgrimage, you're interacting with, with you know, uh, places that are sometimes, you know, Hundreds or thousands of years have been been used as a pilgrimage site, but but also uh, pilgrimage, like like I said, is is our entire lives, uh, however long or short we're given this time on Earth, and um, just in the day to day, yes, it is a pilgrimage. One of the best examples of this, I think, uh, if you ever wanted to watch someone else go on pilgrimage in a very intense way, is Lord of the Rings. Right, watching that movie. In fact. That was the theme we chose when we went to Panama for the nine companions who signed up for World Youth Day that year. We called ourselves the Fellowship of the Fiat. Yeah. And on the back of our shirts, in fact, I have the shirt on under my dress shirt. I'm not going to take my dress shirt off for anyone. John, please keep your clothes on. (laughs) I will. will. Um, But on the back of our shirts, it says uh, one of the characters. So I was Aragorn. uh, Brian was Boromir. We had... uh, Every single member of the fellowship was listed. So our leader, Carl Dolson, who was the director of Youth and Young Adults, leading us that year, um, he was uh, Gandalf, of course. And so it was a great experience do, of do going think, on pilgrimage. Do you think the Lord of the Rings was a pilgrimage or a quest? Ooh, is it? Can it be one and the same? I think it could. I think it on could. On some level, right? I mean, not completely, but the, the real pilgrimage was the friends that they made along. Oh my the gosh. <laughs> Yes, on some level, but at the end of the day, the friends that you make along the way are meant to be the ones who help you conquer evil once and for all. That's good. You you turned my uh, my silliness into something very serious. Boom! Look at that. Bam! We work right. together. There we go. Uh, John, <laughs> is there anything else you want to add on the theme of pilgrimage before we sign off? Um, 
to talk about the people, talk to the people about, um, or to explain or anything else you want to share. The last thing I'll say, and it kind of opens the door for a future episode on pilgrimage. If we ever feel inspired to do so again. Oh, there's another, I want to say this real quick before you go in. Sure. Another big pilgrimage coming up, uh, in the fall is the Dominican rosary pilgrimage in Washington, DC. If you don't know about that, look up, uh, Dominican rosary pilgrimage, DRP. Uh, you might've seen some prayer cards around uh but definitely look into that that is if you want if you've listened to this episode if you feel led to to take some kind of pilgrimage if you don't feel like going to lords or to the holy land or to fatima portugal or or world youth day and almost get eaten by crocodiles or drown under waves or (laughs) not be able to see the city of rio de janeiro under the clouds uh if you don't want to do any of those things and they sound a little extreme they sound a little adventure a little too adventurous uh, that would be a really good one. Is uh, simple, the, safe. The Dominican Rosary pilgrimage. It'll be in Washington D.C. In this country. In this country, yeah. You don't so, have to get on a plane. Just, just look, drive. Look it up and and check out the Dominican Rosary pilgrimage. Yeah, uh, I'd say the the whole point of pilgrimages is to internalize Scripture, internalize the the life of Christ that the Church is trying to instill within the faithful. Right. So they choose these themes for a reason. Madrid from me was rooted and firm in the faith, right? And I immediately felt this sense of, I have been given my faith by my parents, my grandparents, like they've instilled it within me, deep roots, and I'm firm in my faith. And then with Rio, it was go make disciples of all nations. Well, that's right as I graduated college and enter seminary to discern my vocation and come home and start into youth ministry, boom, making disciples. Oh, I made a lot of mistakes a couple years later, and I felt the need, the desperate need for God's mercy. Boom, the year of mercy. And what was the theme for World Youth Day in Poland? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then the theme for Panama was all of a sudden moving from the mercy of God that we received on Calvary, when the blood and water flowed forth, to the moment Mary said yes to the will of God that began that grand adventure to begin with. So it's like the the church is moving in time. And you can follow the direction the church is heading through the prayers of the church, through these themes of the church, that how much time and prayer do they have to do to choose these themes compared to the headlines and hashtags that mindless journalists add to the church is their perception of the church's direction also smart journalists right of course you're right there's, <laughs> I'm, there's I'm, some I'm, smart I'm ones playing. Playing. but it's lex aronde lex credendi as the church prays so does she believe and it's so critical that we see that's where the church is heading that it's not a coincidence that right after the fiat in panama World Youth Day in Portugal, the theme is Mary arose and went with haste, that they're connected. And you can see that the church is heading. How much have you felt the Holy Spirit just filling the church, awakening us from a deep slumber where you're seeing more and more and more incredible acts of faith, of love, miracles are happening, saints are finding themselves uncorrupt without, you know, even having no power to do that themselves. Potential saints. Potential saints. Alleged saints. Alleged saints. We still need to make sure of that, right? Uh, And we have so much hope for the future. Of course, as our good friend Brian has said a few times, I wonder what God is preparing the church in America to endure. And we have to be ready for that as well. Because with the sanctification and edification that we might receive, it has to prepare us for the cross. 
yeah. and maybe the cross of martyrdom. But that's yeah. what pilgrimage is all about. Yeah. So that's all I got. Thanks, Eric. This is a great topic. Yeah, that was cool. All right. So, uh, like I said, if you're interested in a pilgrimage uh, based on today's talk, uh, I'm going to reiterate again because I love the Dominicans. Uh, the Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage is is coming up. Uh, I want to thank John for being here with me today. Thank you. To do this podcast. And also want to remind everyone that uh, your life, um, whether you're going on a pilgrimage to, to a location or you're just, um, you know, spending time with your family, if you're just enduring some sort of uh, normative hardship or suffering, that it is a pilgrimage and, and that ultimately uh, it's your decision um, that it may lead you to your final end which is Christ himself. Um, So uh, with that, have a great night, and thank you for listening to Spirit Inspire.